be looking a bit uh, earlier at knots, won't we? Suddenly occurred to me. And I guess one of the, the knottiest problems that Christians face is the problem of suffering and pain and uh, how we live with that in the light of a resurrection God. I once began a talk on the problem of suffering um, by producing one of those nice meaty um, hammers, meat hammer in fact, um, and asking for a volunteer. Um, I, I was going to offer to whack them really hard on the hand and then um, ask them what that felt like as an illustration of suffering. I didn't get any volunteers. Uh, neither did I get a witty person quick enough to say, why don't you smack yourself on the hand and tell us what it feels like? I just want to say, if we're talking about suffering, that, that suffering hurts. It's painful. And we need to be aware of that. And there may be people here this morning who know in their lives the the reality of that pain and that hurt. I also want to say that there are different kinds of pain and suffering. The, the older ones amongst you will remember some years ago the Brighton bombing in the middle of the Tory party conference. And Norman Tebbit's wife, Margaret Tebbit, was very seriously injured in that bombing. You may remember that a few months afterwards she was interviewed, sitting in her wheelchair with her damaged legs. And I recall her saying to her interviewer that the pain that she experienced from that bombing was as nothing, as nothing compared to the pain of postnatal depression which she had also suffered. So we need to be aware this morning that as well as physical pain, there's the, the reality of emotional pain, of depression, the anguish of mental distress. And yes, the, the agony of bereavement. And thirdly, by way of introduction, I just wanted to say that it's very easy for preachers to get up and talk about the theory of suffering. I don't want to appear before you this morning as an expert because I know that sometimes uh, the theory is one thing but the reality is very different. C.S. Lewis, the, the great Christian writer, produced a, a marvellous book called The Problem of Pain. And it was full of deep insights. But some years later, his wife died. And this is the reality. This is from a book called A Grief Observed. When it was first printed, he didn't even dare put his name on it. It was printed anonymously. This is his reflections on the pain of bereavement. Meanwhile, where is God? This is one of the most disquieting symptoms. When you are happy, 
so happy that you have no sense of needing him, so happy that you are tempted to feel his claims upon you as an interruption, if you remember yourself and turn to him with gratitude and praise, you will be or so it feels welcomed with open arms. But go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain. And what do you find? A door slammed in your face, a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside, and after that, silence. That was his the reality of his feelings of anguish in the midst of bereavement. So suffering hurts. And I don't want to speak as an expert, but as a fellow sufferer, someone struggling with you along the journey of life. So on this Sunday after Easter, I want to look at what the gospel of the resurrection has to say to us about the reality of suffering. And first of all, I want to say God understands suffering. God understands suffering. Some of you may have come across the, the story of Johnny Erickson, a young American girl. She dived off a boat into what she thought was deep water, hit her head on a rock, broke her neck and was paralyzed from the neck down. I know it happens to people. I can't begin to understand what that must be like to suddenly have your life snapped away from you like that. A few weeks into that, coming to terms with paralysis, she asked a friend to bring a mirror into hospital so she could look at herself for the first time. She was absolutely horrified by what she saw in that mirror and she cried out, Oh God, what have you done to me? She said to the same friend, I need your help. Now, what would you say to someone in that position? You'd say, of course, what, whatever I can do to help. I want you to bring me some pills or a razor blade. Help me to die. I want to take my life. Have you ever felt that desperate? You could understand a reaction of, of bitterness, of resentment. Johnny's writings go on to describe her struggle as she, she wrestles to come to terms with that suffering, what it must be like. She describes on, on one occasion how she was lying there. I think she had to lie face downwards on, on the bed with pain streaking through her back. Now, if you're a healthy person and you've got pain in your back, you can, you can scratch an itch. You can uh, ask for a massage. You can flex a, a, a cramped limb. But if you're paralyzed, you can only lay there and, and feel the pain. Her friend Cindy was sitting with her and she blurted out, perhaps rather 
ineptly, not, not knowing what to say to someone in that situation, she blurted out, Johnny, you're not the only one. Jesus knows what it's like. He was paralyzed. What do you mean, he was paralyzed? Well, yes, he was. It, it's true. Um, when he was nailed on the cross, he'd been flogged on the back. That must have really hurt. And, and he, he couldn't ease the pain in his back because he was nailed there on the cross. He couldn't move. He couldn't change anything. He was, he was paralyzed by the nails. And Johnny describes how she found that realization profoundly comforting. God understands suffering. He was paralyzed too. During Holy Week, we've walked the way of the cross. We've seen Jesus in Gethsemane sweating blood, praying, Father, if possible, take this cup, take this suffering from me. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. We just sung that in that last song. And all of this for Jesus, alone in Gethsemane, alone in his suffering while his friends were asleep. And later on the cross, feeling abandoned, not just by his friends, but abandoned by God. Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? We can say that Jesus knows about pain and suffering and agony and anguish and abandonment. He knows what it feels like. He's been tested in every way that we are. So when we are going through it, we can say, God understands suffering and find comfort in that. And then secondly, I want to suggest to you that God can use suffering. I say this very, very hesitantly and tentatively because when you're going through it, it's not always what you want to hear, that God can use this. Often I suggest that it's only with the wisdom of hindsight that we can look back on it and learn from it. But listen to what Scripture has to say about suffering James, in James chapter 1, says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of any kind, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be complete and mature, not lacking anything. It's almost like a progression. You face trials, and trials are testing, and testing develops perseverance, and perseverance finishes its course, and one thing builds upon another. As though suffering can be character building. 
A psychiatrist, Christian man called Gaius Davis, wrote a, a fascinating book called Genius, Grief and Grace. He looks at the lives of some of the, the great Christians of history, from Martin Luther through William Cowper and John Bunyan and uh, C.S. Lewis and J.B. Phillips up to Martin Lloyd-Jones. And he makes this observation that in the case of every single one of those great men and women of God, people that God has used, they have known a considerable measure of suffering. So that in his introduction he says this is a book about suffering and success, about how adversity may lead to achievement. In one way, it's about how to be a successful failure. I'm suggesting to you that God, in the lives of Christian men and women, if we allow it to, can use suffering to enrich and develop our character, to throw us back upon his grace and to prove that he is trustworthy. God can use suffering to enrich and strengthen and build our character. And then secondly, God can use suffering to equip us, equip us to help others. In a passage in, uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3, Paul says, Praise to the God of our Father, the fa uh, praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we have received from Him. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we, if we are comforted, it is, it is for, for your comfort which produces in you patient endurance of the sufferings that we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you will share in our comfort. In other words, Paul says, as we experience in our own lives the reality of God's grace and his mercy and his strength, uh, so it makes us more sympathetic, uh, empathetic towards others. It makes us better equipped to understand what other people are going through. Let me give you a, a, an illustration of this from my own life, if I may. Uh, some years ago, my dad died. Uh, my dad and I were very close. Um, you might say, well, he was 92. He was a keen cricketer, and as somebody said at his funeral, he'd had a good innings, and he had but it doesn't take away the pain that I felt when he died. I was working at the hospice at the time, and I thought I knew all about bereavement and loss and pain. 
I'd even given talks on the subject. But when he died, I suddenly realised that the theory that I knew about bereavement was as nothing to the reality of what I felt. One day, a few days, a few weeks after he had died, I was walking through the hospice and there was a member of staff, a lady who had known her own fair share of, of grief and pain. She stopped me in the corridor and said, how are you getting on, John? Now, you know what Christians are like. It's so easy to say, I'm fine, thank you. When in fact, inside, I wasn't fine. And so I decided to be honest, and I said to her what I was going through. I said, I'm struggling. I cry a lot. I didn't realize how tough bereavement could be. I just feel sad all the time. I'll never forget her reply. She said, thank you for saying that. It makes it easier for the rest of us when we're going through it. Now, I wouldn't have chosen that experience. I didn't want to go through it. But it actually helped me, equipped me as a person to understand what it's like for other people when they're bereaved and perhaps made me more sympathetic, able to offer comfort to those in that situation. And I suggest to you, Christian friends, that we need more openness and more honesty in the family of God to say, yes, suffering hurts. But praise God, he is good. And even in our weakness, we can find his grace to help. And then thirdly, let me just suggest to you that God can use suffering as a witness to the world, as a witness to, to show that by his goodness, he can help us through. This is how Peter put it in, um, in 1, Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. It's almost as though Peter is saying, well, when we suffer, it's an opportunity to reveal something of the glory of God. I came across a lovely illustration of this just a, a few days ago. It was a review uh, in, the, in the daily newspaper of a book uh, called Running for the Hills, a, a, a story of looking back to childhood in Wales by a man called Horatio Clare. Uh, he says, I wasn't a believer even as a child. I hadn't made up my mind about God. But he describes going with his family to church one Christmas. I'm going to read the passage that actually comes from the book because I find the language so powerful. 
I never expected at the height of the Christian year to be gripped or moved by faith. But one midnight mass, it happened. As we sang and kneeled and prayed, in the third pew, the rector's wife sat or stood out of time, helped and comforted by her children. Her face was bewildered, strained, confused. She was fast in the grip of Alzheimer's. They had been battling with with dementia. They'd been battling it, but the fight was nearly lost. The rector loved her with all his heart, and his heart, you could see, was breaking. But he carried on, carrying her and carrying all of us with him, his thin voice wavering as he preached the Christmas sermon. The subject, he said, was joy. Joy to the world and the need to be joyful and the responsibility on all of us in these days to feel the joy of Christ and to spread that joy all around. And picture it with his wife with dementia in the third row of the church. He says, I do not think, he he writes in the book, I do not think I have ever witnessed a man do something so difficult, so brave, so terrible. The rector and his faith were in the furnace before us. And then he writes, whether you believe it or not, God was there with him. Even a child could see it. God can use suffering as a witness to the world of the reality of his grace. The power to sustain even in the midst of that furnace. Well, I think we ought to thank God for modern medicine. It's recognized that that 95% of physical pain can be controlled. Thank God for the healing ministry of the church when we can draw on the, the deep wells and resources of his mercy and strength. Thank God that in Christ he understands suffering. Thank God that in his wisdom he can use suffering to build our character, to deepen our compassion and to act as a witness to the world of his grace. And finally, thank God that one day he will overcome suffering. The resurrection of Jesus was a foretaste for all of us of what is in store. It is the resurrection that makes sense of time and of eternity. Paul had been through the mill. He had heard what we, we heard in that passage about the shipwrecks and the beating and the starvation and the hunger, the sleepless nights. But he's not defeated. He knows that one day God will make everything right. And we have seen the first fruits of that 
at Easter. He says, one day, one day the perishable will be clothed with the imperishable. One day the mortal will be clothed in immortality. One day we will be able to say, death has been swallowed up in victory. And until then, we can declare triumphantly in faith, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So when you and I are going through the mill, may that be our triumphant cry, not only that in weakness we can prove his strength, but that one day, one day we know in this life and in the life to come, everything will be put right. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. As the hymn writer puts it, Jesus lives. Our hearts know well, naught from us his love shall sever. Life nor death nor powers of hell tear us from his keeping ever. May we be able to say, Alleluia. Amen.